I remember, you know, talking to other companies and they're like, yeah, but if you have so many safety concerns, that means your things are broken. I'm like, no, it doesn't. It means the employees are taking ownership of the things that they're seeing and they're reporting them and they're not worrying about whether they're going to get penalized for it. They're not worrying about, oh, did, like, am I overburdening the safety team? We sort of remove all of those, those barriers to uh, reporting something. Hello and welcome to Love as a Business Strategy, a podcast that brings humanity to the workplace. We're here to talk about business, but we want to tackle topics that most business leaders shy away from. We believe that humanity and love should be at the center of every successful business. I'm your host, Jeff Ma, and as always, I'm here to have conversations and hear stories from real people in real businesses. Nat Buse is the Vice President of Safety at Aurora, a self-driving technology leader building autonomous semi-trucks and passenger vehicles. His team defines and implements Aurora's safety approach, which includes overseeing operational, organizational, and product engineering safety, as well as working with regulatory agencies to support the development of best practices and safety standards. Prior to Aurora, Nat led the safety team at Uber's Advanced Technologies Group and was an executive at the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. It's so awesome to have you here with us today, Nat. How are you doing? Uh, I'm happy to be here, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to this conversation. I am too. And, you know, I uh, just I just kind of shared your high-level resume here around safety. And I think there's just going to be a lot of interesting conversation around safety because we're talking about love as a business strategy and you're talking about safety before before we bring bring that all together and connect it i want to ask a little bit about you personally and kind of your story what's your passion Matt, and what what brought you to what you do today yeah it's a it's a really um great question um it, you know it all started i think from this deep desire to to help people um no matter where they are and, and i i started my the early part of my career and kind of uh, even in grad school, really working on what I would say, helping people uh, who got in car crashes and like trying to figure out, you know, how they were getting injured in, in these car crashes. Um, my, my dad was doing a little bit of this, but he was doing it from the, the other side of the business, which is, you know, folks are, are in the crash already and maybe they have extensive injuries and it's like, you know, how do you kind of put them back together? I was always focused on how do we prevent it from happening in the first place. Um, and in the early days, it was really about belts and airbags. It was really about kind of this unnecessary assumption that a crash was inevitable. It was the cost that we were paying for transportation in the United States. And you know, right now we sit at 43,000 deaths a year, which is just a crazy, crazy number. Um, but we've kind of advanced our thinking a little bit that we can actually avoid some of these crashes. And so at Aurora, you know, we're working on self-driving technology, which is the ultimate avoid avoid the crash because there's a lot of things that, you know, the computer can do that that humans just do very poorly at. Um, and that's how I kind of found myself on this journey from really protecting people, assuming they're going to get in a crash, to really kind of evolving that journey to let's actually try to prevent the crash in, in, in the first place. And it's just been a, a really, really fun journey, but it really is deep seated in this kind of uh, really strong desire just to help people. 
what roots you in that desire? Like what keeps you kind of pushing forward and, and making safety such an important part of your, your mentality? I mean, it's, I feel like it's sort of a basic of, of humanity, right? Like <laughs> we all want to be safe in one way, shape or, or form. And transportation is such a big piece of how we move and, and live in our society today. And so if I can be even a small piece of, of making that safer and giving people that comfort of, of, of feeling like they're, they're not going to get injured or if God forbid die on, on their way to wherever they're, they're going. Um, you know, I've always had this deep seated uh, conviction that we, we place a lot of trust, let's say in aviation, none of us get on a plane and even think twice that it's, you know, might fall out of the sky. I, I kind of want that same experience for vehicles. Uh, and as I mentioned, with 43,000, we're a long ways of, of, away from that. And we have a lot of work to do to, to, to get there. Absolutely. You know, when we talk about love as a business strategy, we talk about love in the work that we do, you know, safety often comes up as a neighboring topic because there's nothing more inherently loving than protecting each other and making sure that we stay safe. However, I think that safety culture or at least safety culture within businesses, sometimes there's so many different ways to go about it. And I think sometimes it's an element of, of fear or coercion to ensure people stay safe. There's other elements of awareness and education. So there's this, there's this element of safety culture itself, a, a culture of safety that, that many businesses try to adopt and understand better um, internally, in your case, externally as well. Can you talk a little bit about what safety culture means to you? Like, what is the culture of safety and what should it look like? Yeah, it's a really, really good question. And I'd say you, you have to, it kind of starts at the top. You know, I, I think if you have leaders who say they're, you know, support a strong safety culture, but really don't put any action behind it, you, you actually don't get a strong safety culture. So, you know, here at, at Aurora and something that we believe very strongly in is, is kind of measuring like measuring the safety culture. We do that through a bunch of different ways, surveys, uh, periodic events throughout the year, trainings. There's all sorts of ways you can sort of engage the workforce to understand how they feel about safety. You know, you mentioned this, uh, uh, I'll, I'll use this word retaliation. That's not the word you use, but you know, I think it's the same, same gist of like this fear that if I, if I speak up, am I going to get mm. um, reprimanded for it? Am I getting fired for it? Uh, and certainly I think um, we have a no retaliation policy here for sure, but how that embodies in the employees, do they actually believe it, right? A lot of companies will have things where they say, oh, quote, we have a policy for it, but nobody's checking if anybody's following the policy. At Aurora, we do both of those things. We're not only just have a policy in place, but we actually check that the policy is being enforced. And then we actually measure whether employees believe that the policy has been effective and they can use it, et cetera. And that's just one example of safety culture. I think there's another piece around this new, the, I don't say it's new, but I think people talk about it more as this idea of psychological safety mm -hmm. and sort of the psychology of the employees. You know, how do they feel about the company? How do they feel about their managers? How do they feel about their colleagues? Again, it's in, in our case, you can have all the great processes in the world. You can have great engineering. But if your safety culture is poor, you actually can't deliver the product. It's actually a fundamental piece of how you deliver a strong engineering product. You know, I've, my days in, in NHTSA and DOT, there are plenty of examples where 
companies had policies and then employees sort of like did something against the policy. And the next thing you know, you, you're in a situation where you have real fatalities and injuries on the public roads. You know, you're forced with doing very expensive fixes, paying fines in some cases, and that stems from a broken safety culture. And so we're constantly monitoring, measuring, supporting. I think the, the term we use in, inside the safety org is it's a journey. It's never a destination. It's just a journey that you're always on and you're always trying to do better, do better, do better. We're kind of never happy with, with, the, with the status quo. Um, but it's something that unfortunately doesn't get a lot of attention. I think people view safety culture, psychological safety as sort of like this, the soft side of the business that is a lot different than bending metal and you know putting circuits together and things like that. But I would argue it's, it's as important as, as, as those things. Absolutely. I was on a, a campus of a, a large company that, that prioritized safety. Safety was absolutely number one, but one of the first things I noticed when driving on campus was this large electronic sign that said number of safe days on campus. And it was a counter. And um, when you talk to people about uh, their behaviors around or their thoughts around that, their number one focus was, I don't want to be the person to reset that counter. And on, on one hand, it was, okay, that makes sense. People are trying to be safe, but then you really dig in and you have people, you find that safety incidents have to be reported in a certain way that are very escalated, very scary, very intimidating. And when you really dig into it, it's not so much that less accidents are happening. It's more that people are less willing to admit it, share it, or, or try to even cover it up. And that psychological safety bit you mentioned is, is huge to me. It's such a big part of a good culture, safety or otherwise. How do you approach what you were talking about where it gets people to actually care about the safety, less so about the punitive measures, but how do you actually get people to buy into safety? Yeah, I, I think for us here, um, there's a big part of when you join the Aurora family that you know you're joining a company whose first priority is, is safety. I mean, part of our you know, ethos and what we're doing is we wanna deliver the benefits of self-driving safely, quickly, and broadly. Safety is not there by, by accident as the first thing. And so joining this company, you're already sort of in the right frame of mind. I think the second piece of it is really around um, when, we, when we onboard people, right? They go, you know, no matter what department they're in, there's some some version in there where there's a, a, a safety element of it. And the first thing we focus on is how to report a safety concern, right? We, we believe, you know, reporting safety concerns is everyone's responsibility, and it's not a good or a bad thing. Yes, my team tracks the numbers and whether they're going up and down, but it's a mental shift to actually think the, the more safety concerns you have, the better you are, the stronger mm -hmm. safety culture you have, because that means people aren't afraid to, to speak up. And I remember, you know, talking to other companies and they're like, yeah, but if you have so many safety concerns, that means your things are broken. I'm like, no, it doesn't. It means the employees are taking ownership of the things that they're seeing and they're reporting them and they're not worrying about whether they're going to get penalized for it. They're not worrying about, oh, did, like, am I overburdening the safety team? We sort of remove all of those, those barriers to uh, reporting something. And then we continue like the, the, the other piece of it that's really, really important is transparency in the process. So yes, I submitted a safety concern, but if you don't exp 
explain to anybody what you did with it and what happened to it, even if it was a non a non issue, like then people start losing faith in the process, and then you you start eroding that kind of that 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 belief in the system. And so part of what we also do is share pretty routinely, uh, like so actually open to the entire company, you know which safety concerns came in what was happening to them, what was the issue around them, and then most importantly, how it was uh, adjudicated. That People, I think, undervalue transparency in an organization as well about how that also builds a, a culture that is feels, feels safe, feels like, hey, if my boss is willing to share all these things with me that, um, you know, are important and if they got out, you know, could cause harm, then that builds a trusting relationship. Like, there's a close relationship, I, I think, between Kind of safety culture and, and trust if you have a company where the employees don't trust each other or trust the managers or whatever you you can't really build a strong safety culture in that environment you know you might convince yourself like oh, i'll just do a bunch of surveys but that doesn't fix the problem i couldn't agree more net can you talk about aurora's story can we talk about what made i guess brought aurora to life and what the story is behind that yeah, I, I think there's, you know, not speaking for the found, founders, but I'll say why why I came here and why I believe in, in the Aurora mission. You know, I, I think self-driving and, and, and automated vehicles in general hold the potential to really transform societies in a, in a way that I think we don't even fully comprehend, right? There's the safety benefits that I mentioned, right? If you look at the fatality picture, it's sort of the big three, you know, there's uh, speeding, there's alcohol and there's belt belt use or sort of like the quote unquote the big three. And then there's other things like distraction and also in that that same camp. Well, the AV doesn't have to do any of those things, right? And so automatically you're you're saving lives right off the bat there. And of course, that doesn't mean we won't have other issues to deal with. It just means from a number of 43,000, we can have a huge impact on that. And one of the things that I always like to remind people is it's not just the number of people. If you think about the families that are impacted siblings, many of those people, they, they don't recover from it, right? Some, some of them really don't recover. And on top of that, if you, the things that you can count in terms of dollars, lost productivity, traffic jams, all those kind of things, it is a huge number. We're talking trillions of dollars of cost to society, all attributed to how we move from point A to point B. So if we can have a small indent in that, that's mm -hmm. a huge benefit for, for the world. Right. Then there's the, the, the quickly, which is every day we don't get our product on the road. Uh, we're not helping. And so we want to get there quickly. We want to get there with focus. And then there's a broadly piece, which is, you know, I've had the opportunity to travel all parts of the United States, you know, Europe, uh, you know, lots of many interesting places. And I've been in communities where it's like the things we take for granted and sort of we'll call it urban centers. You know, they don't have the same opportunities and many places in the, in the US. And so if we can expand this technology broadly, that starts to unlock the whole lot of opportunity for a whole bunch of people who never had it in, in the first place. And so there's a real strong commitment within this company to solve this self-driving problem, right? It's a very strong engineering challenge. It's very difficult, but we believe we can get there. Start with trucking because there's huge benefits in, in trucking. If you think about a truck driver who has to spend days away from their family. It's a very, I think at one point it used to be literally the most dangerous job in the United States hmm. um, because you count health issues, you count, uh, of course, crashes and all those kind of things. It's, it's actually a pretty dangerous job. If we can transform that where, you know, 
computer is taking the vehicle from point A to point B. And maybe you have a local delivery person who's then maybe doing a bunch of runs um, in, in sort of in the inner city core. Well, then that unlocks a whole new number of jobs for people. It also allows more freight to move. I mean, there's a lot of benefits to just that simple uh, solution. And then I think the other piece is, is really around transforming the way mobility is delivered uh, in the United States, but more, more broadly. And so I think when I think of Aurora and the founders that we work for, I think we all share this aligned view of like, we can have a huge impact on safety. We got to get there quickly because it matters. And this, we can unlock a lot of things for a lot of different people in a way that we haven't even thought through. Wow. 43,000. And you said that's just fatalities, correct? Yeah. What, yeah. what are, what's the number look like when it comes to just accidents or injuries? There's about 6 million or so um, police reported crashes. Some, some say that the actual number of crashes is probably closer to, to seven because, you know, sometimes people get in crashes and they're like swapping insurance and they go about their, their merry way. But then those same people show up five days later going to their doctor because they have, you know, whiplash injury. We don't even capture that, right? So I think this is what I mean by some of the hidden cost of, of just transportation, but specifically of motor vehicles, you know, in, uh, on public roads. Wow, it's a huge number. Yeah, I did not even realize uh, that's annual. Correct? Is that? Yeah. Wow. wow yeah, wow. And, and unfortunately, this year, even after all the COVID and people stayed at home or not at home, you know, we're on something like a double-digit increase. So we, things actually got worse. Hmm. There's all sorts of theories about why that happened, you know, more risky behavior. Some people argue that, you know, actually traffic helps because people drive slower. So you get you get less uh, severe crashes, but you get more minor crashes in that scenario. Hmm. You know, but at the end of the day, I'm like, it doesn't really matter how we ended up with this huge increase in 2023. Like, how is it that we have vehicles that are the safest they've ever been? All sorts of technologies you can get on vehicles. You know, some cars come with like, you know, 20 airbags kind of thing. And yet we're still killing an alarming number of people. We need all the tools on the table. And, you know, I firmly believe self-driving is one of those tools. And I think what one of the things we have to dispel is this idea that, you know, you're going to go to your local dealership and buy your self-driving car. And that's <laughs> that's all you're going to need. You know, that's that's not the, you know, the, the reality, right? The reality is more, you know, stage deployments where it makes sense. While at the same time, you know, there's other technologies that'll be on our personal vehicles that will also continue to advance, you know, safety in that realm. But all of these things together are really the only way we're going to actually make a big divot in, in, in the number. Can we talk a little bit about, obviously, love? Uh, that is the title of the podcast, but love can show its form in a lot of different ways. I know we've already talked about the mission itself and how safety is, is a very um, loving mission to even align around. Can you speak a little bit about what love as a culture and love means even for yourself or for the organization internally? Like, where does that show up for you all? Yeah, I think it starts, at least as a leader and as an executive, having empathy. Like, I think you have to have empathy uh, in order to lead your people and, and be a strong leader. Uh, I think the other thing I would say is a, a general caring about people. You know, businesses have to make 
tough decisions. I mean, we see some of these decisions playing out right right now in tech where, you know, there's layoffs and, you know, people are worried about the economy. And so they're taking steps to kind of, you know, deal with that situation. But there is there is a, a human way you can do that, an empathetic way you can do that, still accomplish the, you know, the mission of the business. And then there's sort of like the not great way to, to do it, you know, sending people an email and saying, you know, you, you've been eliminated kind of thing. And I think Aurora is definitely more on the the, side, the human side of it, I believe. It's certainly, uh, when I look at our, our founders, when I look at how I lead, it's very much in the realm of like, these are people. Um, these are people who took a gamble on us, took a bet on us. They're here for a reason. You know, let's lead them with empathy. And then, you know, we have to have a hard conversation sometimes around performance and things like that. But that doesn't mean it's a one or the other. They, they actually are, are together. It sounds like in order to build this, you have to build a lot of the trust within yeah. the organization. Is there an intentional way you all go about building and fostering trust? Yeah, I can point to a couple of specific examples. And I mentioned it earlier around really around transparency. You know, the transparency, uh, if you do it right, and I'm talking about real transparency, not like telling people one thing and then you're off doing something else in the back. Like, I mean, true transparency, that that engenders trust. Because, you know, if you and I are having a relationship and I'm telling you things that are, you know, clearly you know, in a transparent way, and then you believe them, well, that builds a trust and relationship between, you know, you and I. But if, I, if I'm telling you something, and you know, for other reasons that it's actually not true, then that that's eroding the trust, right? Because you're like, well, I can't trust anything this guy is saying. So like, I'm not really going to talk to him anymore. And so I think for us as a company, uh, transparency is one of the key ways we, we do that. So we share a lot of information with our, with our employees, you know, lots of documents are open. Um, we have a lot of conversations about things. I think one of the things we we kind of have as, as, as one of our uh, our core beliefs and core values ideas, like you can disagree with someone, but you don't have to be a jerk about it, right? You can have a fruitful conversation over on very difficult issues. I mean, what we're doing is very hard and, you know, there's gonna be difference of opinion and you gotta be able to, to raise those and voice those in a way that are respectful, uh, but that get heard. You know, one of the, the things that's, um, right now right so there's kind of the, the anniversary of the challenger disaster and one of the things that came out of that was an increasing amount of transparency within nasa for example on making sure the right voices are heard on you know issues that someone might have seen and making sure those issues are are, are, are elevated and so like within aurora for example on the safety side we actually have those processes set up where you know, people can raise, you know, through safety concerns that are actually monitored by our safety review board, or alternatively, like people can literally ground the entire fleet if they want to. Uh, and there's no fear of retaliation in that. So just think about it, like, we have to, you know, do missions on the road, we have to collect data, we have to do all those things. And we, we are so trusting in our employees, and we have such a strong bond within the company that we are willing to tell them you can actually ground the fleet if you see something that doesn't seem seem right. And that's pretty powerful, just that in and of itself. Very few companies have that. So any employee can ground the entire fleet. How, what, what, what does that look like? Has that happened before? Has it happened sure. yet? Yeah. Yeah. Like it how, looks how like did that play out. Yeah. I mean, it plays out as you would hope it would play out. So employee raises a concern. 
the decision is made to ground the, the fleet. The fleet gets grounded immediately. Everybody starts digging into the, the bug or the issue, whatever it was. We figure out what the remedy is. We, we implement the remedy. In some cases, we might, you know, re resume operations, but with some, some limitations. In other cases, we will not resume operations until the fix is, is implemented. And it plays out, you know, pretty routinely like that. And then we take the lessons learned from that and we actually feed it back into the engineering process. And so for us, we think it's a very healthy, healthy thing. Um, and we actually celebrate those things when they happen, right? That's the other thing is, you know, you're not, oh my gosh, we had another grounding, everybody pulls their hair out. It's more like, hey, let's figure out what happened here and, and actually what what broke, let's say, in our processes or what did we miss or something like that. And we fix it so it doesn't happen again. I, I can't stress enough how important what you just said was to me at least i think when it comes to mistakes and issues many teams get so caught up in either finding the blame or the point of blame or deflecting the blame from themselves that to me that's a critical that's a way you can easily step into a team and tell just how much psychological safety and trust in, in, is in that culture because is the big difference between being able to celebrate. And even if Nat, it was completely your fault, you know, do we have an organization where you can stand up and say, look, everybody, that's, that's my bad. It is a mistake that I overlooked. I'm going to do better. And everybody embraces that versus you needing to protect yourself, find reasons and other people to throw under the bus to soften that blow and kind of spread the blame and people get caught up in the politics of of really, I mean, spending a lot of time and energy just not moving on to solve the problem, but really trying to to settle the score before we move on. Yeah, Jeff, I couldn't agree with you more. I think as I think back over my career and the many people that I've had, you know, either as leaders or bosses or, or colleagues, you know, the ones that seem to get the best out of their people are the ones that are usually, I mean, I'll use the term the, the humblest. Um, they are the ones who are the first to say, hey, I, I made a mistake here. In fact, I'm not saying I'm, I'm one of those people, but literally this morning I, I did that with my team. Where I said, hey, I think I think I might have pushed us in the wrong direction here. Let's course correct and go, go, go the other way. And, and I think it matters, right? I think anybody can blame anybody, right? That's not the point. It's more like, um, the, you know, did I as a leader make the mistake and can I own it, right? I think another part of what you said that I really want to highlight is more around this idea of, um, in search of the truth, right? Like I'm, I'm always a big believer that, you know, this people are generally good for the most part. <laughs> they, 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 they come to work and they want to do the right thing. And if they're not doing the right thing, well, in some ways, like did the company, you know, fail them? Was there a policy that wasn't in place or a policy that wasn't being enforced or, you know, clearly there are folks that will do malicious things and whatever, and you have processes set up for that. But I'm talking about, people, you know, this idea of like blaming other things, you know, the first place I'm, I'm always and my team always looks like, hey, what process broke here? Like what, let, let's do a retro and figure out where, where did we have something in place that maybe should have been stronger? We maybe need a new policy that was not in place ever. And now we need to put, put one in place. And I think those things matter. And I think, you know, certainly in the software world, as, as you can appreciate, um, there's a healthy dose of like when you write good code and, you, and you're kind of solving good problems that every every opportunity is like a chance to do a retro and learn 
something different. And I think it always builds a better, better product. Absolutely. Well, it sounds like the team is set up, you know, no team is perfect, but it sounds like there's an environment here that's really setting you all up for, for success and high performance. What, what's next? What's on the mission statement? That's what's, what's next in the backlog for Aurora? Yeah. So I, I think from a product perspective, we are super focused on, you know, delivering the Aurora driver ready at, at the end of this, this year, that that's a huge milestone for us. I think particularly as, you know, we see some of our competitors sort of stumble and some of them even cl close up, close up shop. You know, I think we feel we're, we're in a really good position as long as we continue to execute as, as we have and deliver the things that we say we're going to do and actually do them, which we have a strong track record of, of doing that. And I think we're really excited. Like I think having worked now at two different self-driving companies, my time in the government, I can honestly say that it feels really, really good. Now, like we're super close and I feel like the, um, environment probably doesn't really understand that meaning the macro environment right they're just like oh some people over there working on some tech but i think <laughs> they're gonna they're gonna wake up you know in the not too distant future and they'll be like oh my gosh those guys actually did it mm. um and i think it's really exciting we see some of some of our other competitors you know there's already driverless vehicles out there i mean that's one thing i try to remind people is there are small scale pilots happening already in the united states so it's already an exciting time and i think what we really have to square is you know the public trust piece of it which is you know we have to bring everybody along on the ride and then we also i think have to work on people's vision of like what they might have thought george Jetson kind of era or you know night rider if you're a kid of the 80s like me um that that may not be what it actually looks like but man it's going to be awesome and so i think for us that's really what's next is continue to stay focused continue to execute and really deliver uh, aurora driver ready by by the end of this year well, Nat, it's an incredible mission. It's an incredible story. And I'm loving what I'm hearing. I'm so, so excited about what you and the team have to offer coming up. So best of luck to you and the team at Aurora for all the, all the game changing, it sounds like disruptive things that will hopefully come soon. Yeah. Thanks, Jeff. I, I really appreciate it. And I think if, if we can make a, just a small dent um, in this fatality and, and injury picture and give, you know, give people some time back, give people some lives back, you know, I think it'll, it's, it's worth it. You know, it's, it's gotta be worth it. So, you know, I definitely feel, feel good about, you know, us as a part of the company, but I also think, you know, there is a inflection point here where we're really going to make some, some real changes on, on these numbers. Yeah. And my confidence in you and the team comes not from just a great mission and, and, and some smart folks, but also just hearing from you, how you handle, your conflicts, your feedback, your your safety within the organization, I think is key. And I think that is what really sets good companies apart from others is how you're gonna be resilient in these times that are definitely gonna come. And so I'm very excited. I think that uh, the sky's the limit for you folks. And I'm, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just thrilled to have you here today to share that with us. And I really appreciate the time you spent. Yeah, it was great, awesome. Awesome, so thanks so much for being here, Nat. And to our listeners, Thank you, as always, for being with us as well. I hope you've checked out the book by now, but Love as a Business Strategy is still available all in all the places. And if for some reason you haven't subscribed or rated this podcast, it's your first time here, welcome. And we hope you enjoyed this show and we will be back every week with another guest. So with that, Nat, thank you again. Hope you have a great week and we'll see everybody else next week.